Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. What I want to talk to you tonight about is um, going down a rabbit hole. I see loads of people. What do you mean going down a rabbit hole, Kev? Well, I see loads of people in their property businesses and they're running down rabbit holes all the time. And what I mean by running down rabbit holes is they're chasing something that was never an opportunity. They're chasing something that was never a deal. They're, they're going after a property, trying to do something with it that's never going to work. Um, example, you, you do some marketing. So you start off, you do some marketing, whether that be phone calls, letters, leaflets, Facebook ads, whatever it may be. You do some marketing, you put the marketing out there, the phone rings. The phone rings, you get excited. You get excited, the phone's rang, I've got a deal. You don't have a deal. Okay, well, let me make it very clear. You don't have a deal. You've got a phone that rang. You've just got a phone that rang, okay? If you want to build a property business, you need to get a phone that's ringing regularly. So what happens is the phone rings, you start your marketing, you get the marketing going, the phone rings, you start going, I've got a deal. Then you go and you stop your marketing and you run down the rabbit hole of this supposed deal. That never turns out to be a deal. And what happens is you spend a few weeks negotiating with the vendor, trying to do a deal, doing your numbers, when you should be doing it in about a day, by the way, or in a couple of days, but you spend a few weeks doing it, you turned off the marketing tap while you were doing this, you ran down that rabbit hole, the vendor turns around and says no to you, and now you're stuck. Now you're stuck because you've spent three weeks running down this rabbit hole after chasing something that was never a deal, or maybe it was could have been a deal, but it just didn't come through. Because quite often things that may be a deal don't come through in the end. But what you've done is you've turned off the marketing tap. And because you've turned the marketing tap off, you're back to square one. And I see so many people in this property business and they end up back at square one because they go, they do a little bit of marketing, they get that opportunity, they chase the opportunity, the opportunity turns to nothing or turns to a deal. Either way, by the way, even if the opportunity turns to a deal, you gotta go back and restart again. So the key here is that you are consistently marketing. Do not believe something's a deal until it's actually a deal, right? You do your marketing consistently. When you get the opportunity from one of your bits of marketing, you go after the opportunity, but you do not turn off the marketing tap. You continue to market for more opportunities. You continue to realize that this deal I'm chasing might never turn into a deal. It's just a phone call. That's all it is at the moment. It's just a vendor that's rang you who's interested in selling their house. So it's just an agent that's rang you and told you there's an opportunity. It is not a, mo a money-making deal yet. It's not an opportunity yet. Don't count the money yet, okay? If it turns into a deal, brilliant. But what you have to do is make sure that you're lining up lots more opportunities behind it. You don't want to be going back to the start trying to recreate everything that you've built up. So put together a marketing plan. Start structuring it about consistent actions. What marketing are you going to put out there next week? What are you going to do the week after, the week after, the week after? And no matter how many times the phone rings, 
irrelevant of how many times the phone rings, you continue to do your consistent marketing across week after week after week. Don't go putting all of your eggs in one basket. Don't go looking for that one thing, the one deal that's gonna make it. It is about consistently doing lots of little deals, okay? Consistently doing lots of marketing, consistently making loads of phone calls to agents, knowing that if you trust the process, a deal will come. So um, guys, that was my, my little tip for tonight about around your marketing is don't go down these rabbit holes. I see it all of the time. I see people constantly going after something and then they don't get it and then they, they get disheartened because they've got nothing else lined up in their pipeline. They get um, frustrated, etc. You have to build the pipeline of opportunity. You have to be consistently marketing. Uh, what have we got? Questions. So Chris Willis is saying, which marketing approaches has worked best for you? So Chris, um, it's not about what marketing works best. Because quite often people will say to me, um, I tried leafleting, but it didn't work. But the reality is they've done it in the wrong, they've done too, too many leaflets in blanket marketing. They've done it on the wrong streets at the wrong time of day um, with the wrong message on them. So it's not that leaflets don't work, it's the method of leafleting. However, I've, I've just picked leaflets out of this as an example. Quite often, sometimes people say leaflets did work. Now, here's the thing. When people say, what's the best form of marketing? Well, a lot of them are doing, I'm not saying that you're doing this. What a lot of people are doing, Chris, is they're looking for the golden ticket again. And it's not about the golden ticket. It's about consistency. See, you, and I mentioned this on one of my McDonald Mondays last week, I think, or else I mentioned, well, I mentioned it in one of the talks I did, but I'll repeat it just because you might not have heard it, Chris. Um, what you need to be doing is consistently doing a number of things. Because imagine somebody leaves their house first thing in the morning and they go to work. They're out at work and you might drop a leaflet in their door. They come home in the evening, they're gonna pick up the leaflet, they're gonna chuck it in the bin. So you better to leaflet late at night where they don't chuck it in the bin. But they might not reply to your leaflet, but they might reply to your leaflet if while they were out at work, they went into the fish and chip shop and they seen a sign on the wall and the sign on the wall was the same color as the leaflet you were about to drop. And then they were on their way home and they seen a poster on a wall and it was the same color as the leaflet you were about to drop. And then they went on Facebook and they seen an ad that was the same color as the leaflet that you're about to drop. And then they, they, they consistently seen your message. They drove by somewhere and they, seen, and they met a car on the road and on the side of the car, it just happened to be you. And it was a, le a, a sticker, a magnet on the side of the car or a sticker on the side of the car that was the same color as the leaflet you're about to drop. Then they came home and they seen the leaflet and they looked at it and it seemed familiar and they were trying to sell their house so they rang it. So it's not that the leaflet worked, it was a bit of everything that worked. So the answer is you need to be consistently doing a little bit of everything because it's about mind space. It's not about one thing better than the other. And I've seen so many people come online and go, oh, this is working really well for me or this is working really well for me. But it might be one of them that's bringing the phone call in, but I bet you each person that says something's working really well for them are doing a number of other things as well at the same time. So uh, it's consistently having a spread message out there doing a little bit of lots of things to create the mind space. Ravi, I have a Chelsea London flat and I'm struggling with letting it. What should I do to increase uptake? Marketing related, but not necessarily no money down. So Ravi, this is not necessarily...
If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. Um, no money down it is about helping you on your property journey and everything is no money down because Robbie um, when you have a flat or however you've secured it you need to rent the thing out um, I, I, I specialize in teaching people how to get deals but also I specialize in teaching people how to fill deals because there's no point getting a deal that you don't know how to fill so Robbie what have you tried so far because you've told me how should you fill it but what have you tried so far it's a flat have you are you trying to do it yourself are you trying to do it through an agent what are you doing right now? Have you got it up on OpenRent? Is it on Gumtree? Have you posted it on local groups? Have you got a sign outside the door of the flat? What are you doing right now to rent that apartment? So th- there's loads of ways that you can get it rented, but let me know what you've tried so far. If you haven't tried all the bits I've just said to you, you need to try them quickly. Um, how, why don't you do not go to one agent, but why don't you speak to some agents and tell them, look, it, I'm going to try and let it myself as well, but I'll pay you if you let it before me. Why don't you give them a bonus? So all the money you're leaving in losing right now, why don't you pay the agent a bonus to let your flat? Because what they're doing right now in this market is a letting agent that's got property. They've got loads of property in London that they're trying to let out. Let one bed, two bed flats, loads of them. So how do you make them want to let your flat, Ravi, before anybody else? Pay them extra. Pay them 25% more than everybody else. Pay them a bonus. So pay them on a, on a tiered bonus scheme. That if they let it in the next seven days, you'll give them X. If it's 14 days, you'll give them Y. If it's 21 days, you'll give them Z. Give them a bonus for letting your flat. You want the letting agents in that shop to be working for you. Right now, they're working for all the landlords. You want your house, your flat to be the first one that they show somebody. Ravi, pay people well. Money talks. Money. If you come into my letting agency and you offer me some extra money to let your flat above the other landlords, I'm all in with you. I'm going to, I'm going to be showing everyone your flat first. I'm going to have a big sign at the back of the shop for the staff that the, that the, the guests can't see that come in, the clients, but where the staff can see, going, Ravi's flat, get it let, you get a bonus. So I'll pass some of your bonus onto my staff as a bonus to get your flat let quickly. We'll be working for you. You need the letting agent working for you. Hope that out helps, should help. Indeedy, how best to JV with a builder for maintenance of rent-to-rent or SA? Why do you want to JV with the builder and not pay them Indeedy? So again, a little bit of meat on the bone. So guys, when you ask questions, it would be awesome if you put a little bit of meat on the bone so that everyone understood the question and the context of the question. So how best to JV with a builder for maintenance? Um, I don't know why you'd want to. I've never JV'd with a builder for maintenance. Um, I, I'm not sure why you'd want to do that. 
I would JV with a builder if I was buying a property and I wanted them to do a refurb or if I was doing an assisted sale, a joint venture with a vendor where, with the builder where we, I would source the deal, they would deliver the build, get paid for their work, but if they do it quickly to a high standard, etc., we sell the property together and we split the profits. So they get paid for the work and get a share of the profit. But I'm not sure why you'd JV with them just for maintenance on a rent-to-rent. Surely you'd just hire them for maintenance on a rent-to-rent. That, I wouldn't JV on that personally, because you've already got the deal, you've already have it running. If you mean JV with them to actually do the refurbishment of a new one, then that's different. Approach the builder and ask them if they'd like to make some extra money from property. If they've thought about getting into property, um, if they're f a lot of builders, plumbers, electricians, they're fed up watching other people make a load of money from property and they would love a slice of the pie. Just offer them a slice of the pie. You would be surprised. And with builders, plumbers, electricians, etc., here's the best approach, direct. Most of them are direct people. They'll tell you exactly what they think of you. They're very direct. Your best approach with them is just be direct with them back. Um, so make sure you know what you're trying to do in terms of the JV in the first place. So I'm not sure why you would want to JV on a maintenance thing. I don't, I don't get how that would work. Lorraine, how do, you, how do you offer on a property that hasn't been valued? The place is remote and stands alone, so I don't know how much to offer. Um, so Lorraine, when you say remote, again, bit of remote meat on the bone, how far is the nearest house? Is it an hour away? Is it five minutes away? Um, what, what exactly is remote? You can check the last time it was sold. So when was the last time it was sold? Is there other remote houses that are nearby? When were they sold? What did they sell for? Is this off market or on the market? If it's on the market, they let the, the estate agent has already basically valued it for you because they put a price on it. You want to take a little bit off that price, but they put a price on it. Um, you could get a valuer to come out, so you could make an offer subject to valuation. You could get a valuer to come out to do a valuation. Now, if you're applying for a mortgage, if you get a valuer to do a valuation, you'll likely have to get a different one for the mortgage if you're just looking for a price. Um, so you'd go to like Collies or Countrywide or one of these surveyors. They'll come out, they'll do a valuation. Don't tell them your price. Because if you tell a valuer your purchase price, they'll value it at your purchase price. So you say to them, look, I haven't agreed a price yet. I just want you to come out and value it for me so I can then determine the price. So, so you could do that. It'll cost you a little bit of money to do that, obviously. So you want to be sure this is the deal you want to go ahead with. You don't want to be paying for valuations all the time on stuff where you don't then go ahead with the deal. Um, if so if it's, re if it's not remote, it's easy. You just check other houses on the same street that have sold recently, um, any that are on the market for sale. It's much, much more important to look for sold than on the market. Why? Because sold is an actual sale price. On the market is an asking price. There's a, there can be a big difference in terms of asking to sold. So... Um, Lorraine, I would start with those bits to work out the value where you can. Speak to some agents, but be very careful. Do not give the agent the exact address, especially if it's off market, because you'll find out a day later, the agent will have sent a leaflet through the door or they'll have even gone and knocked on the door. Trust nobody, okay? Trust everybody, but tie up your camels, which basically means trust nobody, especially estate agents and letting agents. Sorry if you're listening in, guys, you're lovely. Uh, Indeedy, I was speaking to a landlord and he asked me to talk to the agent for viewing. 
I was speaking to a landlord and he asked me to talk to the agent for the viewing. How do I handle this? Bearing in mind that you advise to deal with the one or the other. Indeed, he's not motivated. So what you'll realize quickly, and this is about not going down the rabbit hole, is you were talking to a landlord. You've gone down a rabbit hole. You spoke to a person. Now you think you've got a deal. Are you going, I need to get a deal here? And you're focused on trying to get a deal here. But the guy has said to you, go speak to the letting agent. What that means immediately, or go speak to the estate agent, what that means immediately is he's not motivated. A motivated seller will negotiate with you. So they're not ready yet. They're not motivated. They're not in the, in the position to give, do a creative deal with you. It's just somebody looking to either rent or sell their house because you haven't said which it is. This is the meat on the bone bit, guys. So it's somebody either looking to sell or rent their house that's not really motivated. They want the price. They don't want the hassle. They want you to go to the agent. It's, you never just move on. Go to the agent if you like and put your offer in, but I'll tell you it'll get rejected because I already know they're not motivated. And this is about listening what to what people are saying. And quite often in viewings, what happens is you're trying to get a deal and you're thinking about what's going on in your head and you're pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And you don't stop for a single minute to think about and listen to what the seller is trying to say to you and what the seller wants and what their situation is. And we're trying to force a square peg into a round hole. And a square peg won't fit in a round hole. At least the last time I checked, it doesn't. And not every house that's on the market for sale or to rent is going to be a deal. But there is deals out there. So you've got to move on quickly. So stop going down the rabbit holes. Indeedy, you're in a rabbit hole right now. This is exactly what tonight's about. You're heading down this rabbit hole. You're wasting time when you should be marketing for more opportunity. What you got to do when you get better at property and you get the practice comes quickly to you is you work smart, not hard. You look at a deal, quickly move on. Look at a deal, move on. Look at a deal, move on. Look at a deal, move on. Stop chasing something that was never a deal, okay? That's what we did when we were kids in school and we chased the girls or we chased the guys that was never a deal, okay? Don't do it in our, in our adult life. Life's too short. The world moves too quickly now. Move on, move on. Next deal. What, Chris Irvin, what questions are good to ask someone with inherited property sat empty? Um, I have a meeting in 30 minutes. I'm interested in to buy it for myself, but don't have the money right now. Oh, Chris. So they've an inherited property. Is it in probate? Get your pens and papers out, guys. Is it in probate? Is it already out of the probate? Question number one, critical. If it's in probate, you're not doing anything creative until it's outside of the probate because you're not dealing with a person. Are you the person that inherited it or is there other people? So for instance, I've got six sisters and a brother. If, my, my, if we inherited my family home and our parents left it to all eight of us, right? So my mom, if she left it to all eight of us, then what we would have was, would be six or seven people, maybe five people who desperately wanted to sell. You'd have two or three people that didn't want to sell. You'd have one or two people that wanted to hold on for the best possible price. And yes, I know I said six sisters, a brother and me, eight, and I added about 10 people in there, but we're an Irish family. There could be people everywhere, right? It's what happens in Ireland. Three Irish people walk into a house, 35 minutes later, 16 of them come back out. It's just what happens over there. So big family, it depends. So Chris, how many people have inherited the house? Is it just one person? Is it him and his wife, her and her husband? Or is it brothers and sisters as well? They, if it is, it becomes difficult to get all of them to agree. If it's just one person, that's great. 
Next question is, have they got an inheritance tax bill? You see, if they've inherited the property, there's a thing called inheritance tax. If they've got an inheritance tax bill, how much is it? You gotta know how much it is because they likely need to sell to pay that bill. Next question is, when is the deadline for payment? So if they've just inherited it, typically they'll have about 12 months to pay the inheritance tax bill. So you've got a little bit of time to get it sold, get it, get it bought, whichever way you wanna go. And what I mean by get it sold is if it's run down, they've got an inheritance tax bill in 12 months time, I would aim to try and secure something like an assisted sale, where you joint venture with the homeowner, you go in and do the refurb, get it all done, and then we sell it before the 12 months are up, they get their agreed price, you pay for the refurb, and you keep everything above that price. That's your money. No stamp duty, no purchase costs, okay? No capital gains tax for you because you never bought it and sold it. Just tax on your profit, okay? So I would look at an assisted sale potential opportunity, but I would be asking those type of questions, Chris, around that property to find out if there's an inheritance tax bill around there, if there's other family members involved, is it still in the probate or out of the probate? And... Obvious question, right? What are they looking for for it? Is there, a, is, there, is there any debt on it? Is it completely cleared now? Was it written off by a life insurance policy? Um, what do they want for the house? And do they need the money now? Or, and when I mean by now, now or in the next 12 months, okay? Or are they willing to wait for the money? Even longer than 12 months, great, it could do something like a lease option. But it, it depends on the circumstances. Don't, you can't just say, I'm going to do a lease option because it's totally irrelevant. It depends on the circumstances. That is a tool for the right scenario. It's not something that you can do in any situation. The tool that sounds like likely to be the best scenario in this situation would be the assisted sale tool. Chris, hope that helps. How do you go about structuring a vendor finance deal? Chris, I teach that on the no money down training, but did I mention that? Yeah. Um, vendor finance deals are, are technical, creative. You need to know what you're doing and learn how to do them. I, it, I spend three days teaching people these strategies. I'm going to struggle to teach you vendor finance in about three minutes because I spend three days teaching people this stuff. But how do you structure a vendor finance deal? Um, there's loads of different ways to structure vendor finance deals. You're looking for a vendor who doesn't need their money now. So it's not about any house. I see this again where people go, um, I want to do a vendor finance deal with this house I want to buy. No, you can't. You need to do what they need. You've got to do, it's, it's a tool for a situation. You use a screwdriver to take a screw out. You don't use a pliers to take a screw out. You ruin the hole. It's the same thing with a vendor finance deal. It has got to be a tool that the person needs to use. So I'll give you an example of one. I did a vendor finance deal with an, with an owner of a house so a guy from that lived in Reading, but he was working in Nottinghamshire. He bought a property in Nottinghamshire a few years ago where he was working as a high-level manager in a factory. He bought the property, he furnished the property, he lived there because he didn't want to rent and he didn't want to live in a hotel. So it was like an investment for the future. Listening to them in a negotiation was an investment for the future. He retired, he's moving back to Reading, he's got this property, he doesn't want tenants, he wants to sell it. He'd like to get his asking price. He's not motivated. There's no mortgage. I came in and I offered him more than his asking price. I offered him more than his asking price and I offered him monthly rent. So if he waited five years to sell the house. So I offered him 
475 quid a month at the time to rent the property, plus his over asking price. So he was looking for 89,950 for the house at the time. I offered him 94 grand for the property. So more than asking price. You're nuts, Kev. Why would you offer 94 grand? Because I see people do this all the time, by the way. You try and secure the 90 grand house for 75, and then you're more than happy to take a mortgage out from the bank and pay the bank 20 grand over the next 10 years. So why don't you just give the, the money to the homeowner? Why don't you just give it to the person who owns the house? So we structured the deal where he was my bank. He's my bank. Why does your bank have to be Barclays when your bank can be the retired guy that's moved back to Reading? We give him 475 a month for the next five years. We make about 800 quid a month on that house. Over five years, 800 a month over five years, guys, right? Six, eight, 60 months, 448 grand. I'm buying it at 94. I need my calculator because I'm a bit thick. 94K purchase price. We make 48 grand from rental income out of the house without ever buying it. Take away 48 grand. We only owe 46 on it in five years time. Why would I not give him 95? I could have given him 94, sorry. I could have given him 95, 96, 98. I could have given him 100 and I'd still have made money because having the keys of the house allowed me to make the money. And by the way, the 48 grand rental income of the house, that money is what we use as the deposit to buy the house when we go to buy the thing. So vendor finance is phenomenally powerful, but you gotta know how to use it, guys. And you should be using it because sometimes you're trying to buy a house off somebody who doesn't need the money now. Give them more money later. Give them more, a little now, a little later, a little during. Guys, get educated, learn this stuff. Just back yourself, believe in yourself and get somebody to drive you forward on your journey, move forward on your journey because you can do this, you can. You just need to go for it, you need to take the action, you need to get around the right people to teach you. Good night everyone, hope you enjoyed it, speak soon.